Hey, Jacob here. Let's get back to my Versify story. Once again, here's Joshua Moore. In addition to his wealth of experience as a wildland firefighter, Jacob is also well-versed in the world of audio production. He hosts a podcast called Neighbors, and he's gotten pretty familiar with the process of being entrusted with another person's story, but says that being on the opposite side of the equation has been a vulnerable experience. I was very self-conscious because, you know, I'm a storyteller. And um, I wanted it, you know, it's like crafting it in my brain on the way over here. And yet uh, what came out was not at all what I had uh, thought it would, you know, how I thought it would go. Like it was a story that I was like, I feel conflicted about because in one sense for a long time in my life, and it's like, I kind of feel badass in a way. Like this is, I fought a, a forest fire. I also feel like very small and incompetent and like um, kind of a, a child among giants at that time. Like the best part of the story for me was just kind of his reflection, like Jacob's reflection on it was the fact that yeah, you're so small, you're so, um, you're so insignificant to nature and like this grand force. And so, you know, immediately after he like proposed to his girlfriend and like, you know, it, he just felt like there's so much, so little you can do in, yeah. in this world or like, you gotta do that little. A few months after their initial conversation, Jacob and Log Najida reconvened in the studio for the poem. Do you remember the story that you told me? Yeah, it, about um, fighting forest fires and yes. then proposing to my wife and almost dying. Almost dying doing the forest fires, not proposing to my wife. <laughs> right. So, so has any feelings changed towards that experience or hmm. you feel pretty much the same? I'm interested to hear, hear the poem again. Right. Because what it's been, I don't know, that was, that was like eight months ago. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. So I think I changed the title. I don't remember if I had a title before, but right now it's, it's called More Than Just Fire. Had never seen fire up close, mammoth, blunt, raw force, until it almost killed me. Until in the Missouri crew of wildland fighters there was me. Before I could give her the ring, and it was the day I was finally going to see some flames breathe. Redding, California, and a kerosene backburn torch, evergreen tree, and mica, the always smoker, smelling like a chimney. We cut a fire line down the mountain so the impending shroud would burn the black side and not the green. And when something went wrong, there was a crackle, there was steam, and we should not have been there. And this was going to be it. And I would never get to give her this ring. I thought, running in and out of the superheated smoke like 10,000 cigarettes, elevation for breath. But Micah stood there, grinning, sawing, saving. And I had never felt so small in the war zone, in the face of such lack of control and element creating and destroying. And when the tree fell, the wind died. The smoke dissipated. We were shaking, covered in ash, and I had never felt so clean, sobering. We found out later that the fire had jumped the line, and it was all for nothing. But spurred into action, I did give her the ring. And Micah, all crazy eyes, all evangelical zeal, 
kept smoking, and I had finally seen fire, the first and last time on the mountain, and I had finally felt fire. But it was more than just fire. I was fighting. (laughs) It holds up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. It's cool now that that was a decade ago because I can see that boy. Like Mm. I was, I think I was 20 years old. I'm 20 years old. Okay. (laughs) Well, I've, in retro, not to say that you are uh, like, uh, I'm not comparing like that, but I was a boy at 20. Right. And I felt utterly invincible. And that was one of those defining moments that was like, I am mortal. <laughs> I am finite. Uh, like, and I, re- like, I really felt it in my body. Like, it wasn't just a concept right. to think about. Um, and then hearing your line about, like, just remembering jump the fire, like, after uh, we had almost, after I felt like I had almost died. Exactly. Then the fire jumping, like, kind of the, the irony. futility yeah. <laughs> almost of it. I was kind of looking at the fire as like a character study. And so I didn't want it to like completely overcome the piece. I tried to strike a balance enough that it was like how it may have felt in the moment of like the fire is overpowering you, but there's like all these other things that you're thinking about. Like you're not thinking about the fire. You're thinking about maybe dying and what what that means and what you're leaving behind. There were two things. Um, the first was, you said superheated smoke, like, was it 10,000 cigarettes or yeah. something like that? Um, that stuck with me. Because I, I, w- I was also angry, like, and which leads to the second thing, the second line, which was, we shouldn't have been there, or right. I shouldn't be here. Um, that, yeah, there was, a, there was a sense of anger. <laughs> and like, what the hell? Like, why? We didn't have to do that. And then the fact that the fire jumped, like just those three kind of um, beats of the poem Mm -hmm. really encapsulate what I felt. So Versify is another production of Nashville Public Radio. If you liked this story, check out their other episodes in your favorite podcasting app or at podcasts.wpln.org. Versify is also a production of The Porch, which trains the poets and hosts its storytelling events. Editing for the story is from Mac Linebaugh and Anita Bug, and was produced by Joshua Moore. Music in this episode by Scott Gratton, Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, and Jazar. Versify is distributed by PRX. Neighbors is a member of the Herd Audio Collective. That's H-E-A-R-D. For more info, visit theherdradio.com. As always, I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to leave a review uh, wherever you're listening. Also tell your friends, really depend on that. Oh yeah, and get to know your neighbors. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you are listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Fighting wildfires is dangerous work. In the past decade, over 150 people have died fighting wildland fire in the U.S. In dry forested areas, when the wind picks up, these fires can be unpredictable. A seemingly contained situation can go out of control in seconds. It can cause a lot of tragedy. And this year 
has been no different. Two other firefighters were killed earlier this week. More than 80 wildfires are still burning in 13 states. In July of this year, a fire known as the Car Fire killed at least six people. It was near Redding, California. When I heard about this on the radio, it struck me because almost exactly 10 years earlier, I was fighting wildfires near Redding, California. I was fresh out of college and looking for adventure. That year, a crew that I was doing work with on a mountainside in the Shasta Trinity National Forest was involved in a tragedy. The helicopter flew into the area to pick up a group of firefighters and it crashed after picking up the firefighters. Nine people died in that helicopter crash. I can see the risk and danger of it all now so clearly and can view it with a respect. But when I first got out there at 20 years old, it was all fun and games to me. Finally, after massive amounts of fuel, it starts to catch. And it starts to burn really hot. And I'm starting to think, oh, this is cool. This is it. Like, I'm doing it. This is a clip of me being interviewed by a poet for another WPLN podcast called Versify. It's hosted by Joshua Moore. It's a really cool show. They have talented poets listen to people tell a story. Then the poet turns that interview into poetry, usually in less than an hour, right there on the spot. They read that poem back to the person it's about, and all of this is captured on tape and turned into a radio story. I had the good fortune of participating in this with a poet named Logjanita Mukhopadhyay. We cut a fire line down the mountain so the impending shroud would burn the black side and not the green. And when something went wrong, there was a crackle, there was steam, and we should not have been there. Today on Neighbors, I get versified. You'll hear my story, turn into poetry, and then a conversation about that poem. It's a story about realizing our finiteness and choosing what to do with the little time we have. Here is Versify host Joshua Moore. While I've long prided myself on being largely immune to the compulsory effects of peer pressure, I have to admit that in my early 20s, thanks to an unfortunate love of thrill-seeking and a generous supply of youthful hubris, I found myself in more than one risky situation at the prompting of a friend. And as Jacob Lewis tells poet Lognijita Mukhopadhyay, it was a similar thirst for adventure and susceptibility to friendly persuasion that landed him on the front lines of a California wildfire at the age of 20. The summer after my senior year of college, I was a type 2 wildland uh, firefighter. My best friend's dad was in the uh, forestry department at the Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri, and I'm from Missouri. And so when we both were trying to figure out what to do after college, uh, we thought, that sounds like an adventure. We'll, we'll sign up. You get like a, a week of training. You have to take a physical fitness test, and you have to learn how to deploy. It's called a fire shelter, which is this little tinfoil burrito blanket that's supposed to save your life in case you're stuck in a burning forest. Jacob and his best friend Travis have been going on adventures together since they were kids. Their families used to vacation together in the remote climes of northern Canada, where Travis and Jacob would spend hours at a time out on the water fishing. They went to college together, both studied religion, had the same sense of humor, are exactly the same height, and were so frequently seen together that people on campus jokingly referred to them as the Hobbits from Rolla. That's their hometown in Missouri. Travis is a year younger than Jacob, and between his sophomore and junior year, he spent a summer abroad working in Rwanda. It was a formative experience for Travis, and an adventure that Jacob felt as though he missed out on in some ways. So when Travis decided to be a wildland firefighter the next summer, Jacob decided to sign on too. We signed up, and the way it works is 
often the fires are out west, not always, but often. And we were in the Missouri crew, so um, you just kind of wait and hunker down until, uh, in a bad fire season, you know, California will use its resources. Then they'll call in people from Oregon, then they'll call in people from Utah. And as they kind of deplete the manpower, then there's like, okay, send the Missouri <laughs> crew. So Jacob and Travis were on standby, waiting to hear if their team would get called out to a fire. And around the same time, Jacob was in the process of figuring out when he wanted to propose to his then-girlfriend, Catherine. They'd been dating a few years, and since getting back together after a recent breakup, things had started to get pretty serious. We, we were both home visiting my parents in Missouri, and we were on our way back um, to St. Louis, and we stopped at a Walmart to get her ring sized, because I didn't know what size um, ring she had. And right as we were in the Walmart, I got the call. I was going to be on a plane the next day, flying to fight this fire. So Jacob and Catherine drove an hour back to Rolla. Though they knew it was a possibility his crew would be deployed, it still caught them a little by surprise. They said their goodbyes. Catherine cautioned Jacob to be careful. Then he geared up and boarded a plane for Redding, California. And you wear these Nomex, um, it's like a yellow fire retardant material. It's called Nomex. So yellow shirt and like these green um, pants and big fire boots and you have this big pack. And I just felt like such a badass, but like very undeserving of being that. And I remember as we got off the plane, like people were applauding and I was like, I've never even seen fire in my life, you know, up close. Um, so it was very surreal. Jacob says he can still vividly remember his first night on the line, or as he affectionately refers to it, his first night at fire camp. We, we got there like in the afternoon and we went out immediately at night and I was actually in a section of real fire at that time, but there was no wind. And, and so there's these people called hotshots, which are like the like professional contract firefighters that like will jump out of a helicopter with a chainsaw on their back into a remote area and like go. And I remember the first night I'm there, it's dark and this giant like crazy looking man with ash all over his face like hands me some fuel containers, like two fuel containers, like, I need you to carry this down the line. And it just felt like I was in a war zone, kind of like, and I just grabbed, and they like were so light to him, but to me they were so heavy. And I like grabbed these two things and I'm running down the line feeling like I'm, yeah, in a battle and hand it to another guy who like, I'm exhausted and he just like picks him up with his pinky basically. Um, and so that was my first experience of like, oh, this is intense. And as you might imagine with any high stakes environment, Intense situations tend to attract people with intense personalities. And there's one person in particular that especially stands out for Jacob. A guy by the name of Micah. Micah was a very large, tall man. And he had kind of like crazy eyes. He, he didn't seem unstable. He just seemed intense. Like he okay. had zeal. Kind of that like evangelical Christian like okay. zeal that I don't know any other way to describe. Mm -hmm. Just made me slightly uncomfortable and yet like I, I would trust him with my life kind of thing at the same time and one thing is during our morning briefing every morning he would roll his own cigarettes mm -hmm. this guy was a chimney and smoked all the time just first thing in the morning he's smoking on the bus he's smoking like everywhere he is smoking all the time and his job on the fire crew was what's called a sawyer 
like Tom Sawyer, you know, um, but they had giant chainsaws and their job was to literally cut down trees to either thin out an area that was going to burn, so it burned less in intensely, or um, in an area that's already burnt, burnt up to try to like take down some trees that might fall and be dangerous on their own if they weren't taken down. So every day, Jacob and his crew would get on a bus, get shipped from their camp to the mountain, and then hike up it. And my crew's job was to clear a top of a mountain, kind of like a swath about, I'd say like a bulldozer's width, and then cut down things on, on one side of the mountain in preparation for the fire to come. They were building what's called a fire line. It's a break in vegetation or other sources of fuel that acts as a barrier to help slow down or stop the progress of a wildfire. So you're, you're trying to yeah, give, give the fire nothing to burn in that area. On one side where the fire is, even though it might be miles and miles away, mm -hmm. that's called the black side. On the other side is called the green side. And so we were preparing, you know, a week in advance for a fire to come to this place. Mm -hmm. And every day we would hike up there. Um, we did this for a week and a half. They were clearing out space to do a back burn. The idea is we were going to pour kerosene on the black side. Right. And, and burn up the fuel in a controlled way when the wind wasn't crazy, so that when the fire came, it would have nothing to burn and burn itself out. So after a week of cutting, hauling, and throwing timber down the side of the mountain, Jacob's crew reached the end of their section. And about a mile ahead of where they were, another crew had also been clearing the line. But instead of throwing it down the mountain, they'd taken everything that they cut down and put it in a giant pile. And so the day came when it was time to do this big backburn and the wind conditions were perfect everybody was ready and this was the day that I was going to see some fire right. and one guy on our crew starts doing this backburn he starts burning things on the black side and he's he's pouring this kerosene it's starting to burn and it's and it's successful everything is perfect and we get down about three quarters of a mile and that's where this other section was and the elevation had changed slightly, the type of timber had changed slightly, and um, the density had changed slightly, not to mention this huge fuel cache. Mm -hmm. And part of the way that fire crews work is like you have to earn hours to be promoted. And so there was some guy that was trying to earn his promotion. And so they were like, okay, you can earn some hours, you can light the fire, and this other guy can command the crew for a while to get some experience. Well, this guy starts to pour kerosene on that big cache of fuel, and it's not lighting for some reason. And the temporary crew boss was like, oh, just keep pouring it on there. Okay. You know, just keep pouring it on. And finally, after massive amounts of fuel, it starts to catch. And it starts to burn really hot. And we're on an incline, and there's a big... I remember I was standing there with my back, and I'm starting to feel the heat from this huge cache. And I have a helmet that I unroll, uh, it's called a fire shroud, so it like protects my neck. And I'm starting to think, oh, this is cool, this is it, like I'm doing it. And the open flame of that giant fuel cache was probably 25 yards from this giant evergreen tree. Okay. Um, and, and it was burning straight up. But the wind all of a sudden started to shift a little bit. And this evergreen tree, even though it, a flame never touched it, it was just high enough that the heat was 
you know, kind of rising in a 45 degree angle with the wind. And it started to like crackle. So like no flames touching it, but you just start this like crackling. And you see it moving in this kind of heat wind. And I'm just looking to my right, like watching this tree move and listening to it. And then all of a sudden it just torches. It goes just like that. Like not kind of started to catch fire, but the whole thing just goes. And the tree was on the green side. And at that moment, the wind shifted so strongly that everything that we had been burning, like this just huge rolling cloud of superheated smoke just starts rolling toward us. And other things start to catch. And I had never experienced smoke like that. And we're not, like, we don't have respirators or anything like that. It's just you're a person carrying a bunch of stuff and, like, a pickaxe. And this crew boss was like, all right, we're going to save this. We're going to take care of this. And I'm thinking, this isn't worth it. We're going to die. We need to get out of there. And the smoke was so bad, I remember looking to my right and seeing my friend. And he had um, snot just pouring out of his nose, like all the way down to his boots. And, you know, all of our eyes were watering. We're all coughing. We're all trying to stay low. And I remember somebody throwing up. And the crew boss, though, said, everybody get back in there. And basically that tree that torched, that what we were going to do is try to extend the fire line and, like, build around it, okay, and try to save the screen. But the wind is blowing all this superheated smoke toward us. There was one small elevated spot where Jacob and the other crew members could run up, get just above the smoke, take a breath, then run back in to redig the line. And I'm thinking, this is so stupid, we should not be doing this. Um, and uh, it was just one of those moments where I thought, okay, this could be it. Like, this this is it. I'm, I'm here with my best friend, and I'm not going to make it. Jacob says he wasn't sure what to do. He wanted to get out of there, to take off running down the mountain. But he knew he couldn't. Sure, he technically signed up for this, but was saving a stretch of tree line really worth risking his life? And with every trip into the smoke and back again, he got more and more resentful. What were they still doing here? Why was this crew chief in charge? What if they all died here? He thought of Catherine and felt scared. All the while, the other crew members were scrambling about him, bearing down on shovels, then sprinting out of the smoke to snatch a breath before rushing back in. All of them, that is, except one. One guy that was never running out and in, he was just in it, and that was Micah, the guy who smoked cigarettes all the time. And he has his chainsaw, and this is not a little chainsaw. These chainsaw bars are like, I mean, they're like three feet long. And he is standing there amidst this superheated smoke with his crazy eyes, and his chainsaw, and he is cutting down this tree that is on fire. And he is so skillful, he's cutting it in a way that it's going to fell perfectly on the black side. So we're all digging, 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 people are throwing up, mucus is everywhere, everybody's running around, and I literally feel like I'm completely ineffective, like I'm not doing anything. I just feel like it's my duty to run into the smoke and run out, basically. And I'm not joking, they say it's like something like one inhalation of that superheated smoke is like smoking 10,000 cigarettes. Um, And he was just standing in it, saving our lives. With just this grin on his face, just watch this tree just and fall uh, into into the black side. And somehow 
At that same moment, the wind calmed down, the smoke dissipated, and um, we had saved the line. Everybody was shaken up. Some of the guys on the crew had been through things like that before, but a lot of them, like Jacob, were rookies who'd never seen anything like it. The next day, they all had to be evacuated off the mountain because of another fire heading their way. And while they were sitting around the campsite waiting for their bus to arrive, they learned some shocking news. And we're just sitting there eating sandwiches, drinking Gatorade, and um, find out that down the line, the fire had jumped the line, and all of that that week of work, that almost dying, um, was for nothing. It was such a sobering moment for me that um, after all the smoke cleared and after we left California and I flew back to St. Louis, um, I immediately went online, ordered a wedding ring or engagement ring, uh, and proposed to my wife. And more than giving him a sense of sureness about Catherine, Jacob says the experience brought him to another realization, too. If I'm being honest about that experience, it seems like such a fool's errand. Like, it's such a mammoth task. Because it's just Mother Nature, and it's, you know, pure, blunt, raw force. And it's overpowering and overwhelming. And I think that's, even though Micah did save my life, like, that's really what I took from it. was like, that's what spurned me to get on with my life. Um, Spurned me into action because there's so little I can do to affect this world. Um, But what I can do is really important and meaningful. Coming up after the break, you'll hear how poet Lagjanita plans on turning my story into a poem. (laughs) 